Today I want to talk to you about our response to rage. Our response to rage. Rage is a, um, uh, it's a word I see a lot now in the news. Rage. Sometimes I just see headlines. Rage. Rain. <laughs> How about that? But rage is not anything new. It's, it's been around uh, since the creation of man. Cain, in his rage, killed his brother Abel. So here in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4 gives us the account of Peter and John going into the temple to pray. And as they're going into the temple to pray, they encounter a lame man at the gate, at the gate beautiful. And uh, the Bible says that the lame man looks at Peter and and he's begging for alms because there was no welfare system uh, and so the, the way people who were lame or crippled or disabled, unable to work, they had to beg for alms. And they depended on the generosity of others so that they would have the necessities of life. And this man had been lame all of his life. He was in his 40s. He no doubt sat at that gate daily. So think about this. Peter and John pass him by Every time Jesus went into that temple, Jesus passed by this lame man. There's no doubt about that. But yet, it was in this moment, at this time, that God chooses to heal this lame man. So Peter locks eyes with the lame man, and Peter says to him, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And in that moment, the Bible says that that man who had been lame all of his life rose up, and he began to walk, and the man was healed. And the healing of this lifelong cripple man creates great excitement. It stirs everybody up within the temple compound. And the people um, are amazed at this miracle that has taken place. And Peter and John begin to preach the gospel and give witness to Jesus. And they preach the gospel, and they preach the resurrection from the dead. And the rulers, the religious leaders, the same people that crucified Jesus, that oversaw his death, hearing that Peter and John are preaching Jesus and the resurrection from the dead, have Peter and John arrested, and they bring them in and they threaten them that they're going to get in really bad trouble if they keep preaching Jesus. But Peter declares that they cannot but speak of the things which they had seen and heard. And fearing the people, the rulers let Peter and John go. Because they couldn't deny the miracle. And the people were so excited about the miracle that had taken place to do anything to harm Peter and John would have put those religious rulers at peril themselves. So they threaten them, and then they threaten them again, and then they let them go. And Peter and John go back to the other disciples, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, and I'm going to read through verse 31. 
And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Father, we ask that you would, even as those disciples prayed in that day, Lord, we as your disciples pray today that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would be a people that would speak your word with boldness. Father, open our hearts and open our minds. Let this word be implanted in the good soil of our hearts. Let it bring a harvest of righteous fruit that would glorify your name and make you known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Peter and John picture they're just going to prayer. So that was their normal time to go to the temple and pray like they did daily. And as they're going in, for whatever reason, this day, the connection was made with this lame man. And God heals him on this day. And this guy had been lame for over 40 years. And God waited for this day to heal him. And God used that lame man to give witness to Jesus, the gospel, and the resurrection. Now, there's really a lot of things we need to think about when we consider that truth. That God created that man, and that man was born lame, and that man was allowed to remain lame all of those years for this specific purpose that his healing would bring about glory for God and a witness to Christ and the gospel. This is why we are commanded in the scripture to trust God, not based on what we see, not based on what we feel, but based on who the scripture declares God to be. He is the sovereign. He is the creator of heaven and earth, which means he created us, which means he knows us and he knows our circumstances and he knows our situations. 
better than we know them. And even when we cannot understand what he is doing and why he is doing what he is doing, we are told to trust him. And this, if nothing else, if you don't take anything else away from this story today, take this away from what we just read, that God knew that some 40 years after the birth of this lame man, that Peter would facilitate his healing. God would raise him up on that day and there would be a witness given to Christ and the gospel and the resurrection. And not only that, but it wasn't an obscure witness. It wasn't just a witness that no one knows about. We are reading about it today. We're talking about this lame man today. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about him, but the scripture records his life. The scripture records his existence. The scripture records his lame condition and the scripture records his healing. And we know that God did that in his providence to bring about his plan and his purpose for that man, for his church, and for us today. So this is important. And Peter and John go back to the other disciples. And what do they do? They praise God. They praise. Now, what do you do in the face of rage? Well, what these disciples did was they praised. In the face of threats, in the face of persecution, they go back to their companions, and it says... When they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. When they heard what had happened, when they heard that they had been threatened, when it, they heard that they were commanded to speak no more in the name of Jesus, and they said, we can't help but speak of these things that we have heard and we have seen. Sorry, is it better for us to obey you or is it better for us to obey God? And they said, we must obey God. Therefore, we cannot keep our mouths shut. And when they went back and told their companions all that had happened, they raised their voice to God with one accord. In other words, they praised God. Praise should be the result of persecution or blessing. It's easy to praise God when we're blessed, right? I mean, if any one of you were to win the lottery next week, this week, you would be praising God, I would assume, right? But what about when trial and tribulation comes? That's not quite as easy to praise God when that happens, is it? But yet, that's what the Bible says we are to do. Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in all things. Give thanks for all things is what the Bible commands us to do. The Bible never says it's easy to do that. It just says do that. But when we begin to see God for who he is, when we begin to consider who God is in relation to our situation or our circumstance, our trial or our tribulation, when we begin to consider who God is in relation to who we are and whatever we may be dealing with, then we begin to see why we have reason to rejoice. We begin to see why we have reason to give thanks for and in all things. So praise should be the result of whatever comes to us 
for Jesus' name's sake. And upon being let go and returning to the other disciples, they all began to praise God. Praise is an appropriate response to the rage that we see in the world around us. So it says they they raised their voice to God in one accord and said, and here's what they said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things and the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ? They're making a prophetic proclamation. They are declaring the words of the prophets. They are declaring the word of God. They are speaking to their situation. And they say, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. What does that not include? That includes everything. That includes us. And this is a reminder that in the face of even persecution, in the face of trial and tribulation, in the face of your struggles, who is God? He is God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Or as the prophets asked the question, is there anything too difficult for you? And the answer is no, nothing, absolutely nothing is too difficult for God. David declares, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth, they took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And the disciples of Jesus are quoting from the Psalms here because this is exactly what happened to Jesus. This is exactly what happened to them. It's what was happening to them. The nations raging and the people plotting and the rulers gathering and the kings taking their stand did not end when Jesus was crucified on the cross. It didn't end in Acts chapter 4. It's still taking place today. It's why we see the world enraged at God. And if you don't think the world is not enraged at God, you need to think again. Because all this rage that's being demonstrated and spewed out, all this hate and all of this that we're seeing and hearing in our culture, we can say it's against politicians or judges or whoever we want, but the reality is this is the world enraged against God. And who are we? We are the church. We are God's people. And in this prophetic proclamation, there is this declaration that God is sovereign over all. 
And as it was then, we are living in a time when we see the nations rage, the people plot, the kings taking their stand, and the rulers gathering together against the Lord and against his Christ. And we are the people of God, and we should be the people who understand the times that we're living in, and we should act accordingly, not shrinking back, but rising up to proclaim the prophetic word of God. Because that is the only remedy ultimately. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for those who believe. To Jew and to Greek, it doesn't matter. And how will they believe if they do not hear? So there is praise. That is the first reaction. There is this prophetic proclamation. And then we see this declaration of God's providence. Verse 27. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. This is a prayer. This is a proclamation. This is a petition. They're lifting up to God. And the disciples of Christ, the, the, the believers are saying to God, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you, God, anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever they decided they would do. No, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They did what they wanted to do, but it was because it was what God had already purposed and already determined before to be done. I want you to see the sovereignty and the providence of God. It was the providence of God that that lame man sat at that gate for over 40 years before on that unassuming day, Peter walks in just simply going to prayer. But yet on that day, God destined, God in his providence said, this is the day that man will be healed. He only wanted alms, but instead he got his healing that he had probably given up on long ago and had resigned himself to sit at that gate begging for alms until he died. That's what he had settled himself to, but it's not what God had planned or what God had purposed. You and I do not know what God has planned and what God has purposed. We do know that he has plans and he has purposes, but we don't always know. We don't most of the time know what they are but we know he has them. And we know that the way God typically works is when we least expect it very often, that is when God's plan and purpose will just burst on the scene, just like it did for this lame man sitting at the gate. He just wanted alms, but instead that day he received his healing. And that healing created a stir in a movement, in a witness for the gospel in Jesus Christ that is still affecting 
the world today because we're reading about it today. Because it's been recorded for us in Holy Scripture, preserved for us, so that we would never forget we have reason to praise God. We have reasons to utter our prophetic proclamations and declare the word of God. And we have reason to trust in the providence of God. We are a people that should live with the assurance of his providence in all things, trusting that even in our failures and in our missteps and even in our sin, God has assured us that he is working all things together for good, that our trials and our tribulations are working for us a more eternal weight of glory, and that our tribulation is producing perseverance and our perseverance is producing character and our character is producing hope and the scripture says hope does not disappoint because God has poured his love into our hearts by his spirit and that spirit that dwells in us is God's guarantee to us that he will finish what he started that he has redeemed us in his providence that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world was formed and that he will never, ever let us go and he will never, ever abandon us. And so that we will know that he put his spirit in us and sealed us with that promise. We can be assured of his providence for even in the murder of the son of God, the father's providence was at work bringing about our salvation. And if God can bring about our salvation through the murder of his son, imagine what he can do through our trials and our tribulations. If God can bring about our salvation through that heinous crime of Jesus' death on the cross, we should never doubt his good providence in any situation we may find ourselves in or encounter. That church is good news. And as they are proclaiming the word, as they are proclaiming the providence of God, they petition God for power. Verse 29, and in their petition, they say, now Lord, look on, our heart, on, on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word. Let me read that again. Listen to what these disciples said. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We don't see the disciples petitioning Jesus or petitioning God for relief or for protection from the threats. We should see what they're petitioning for, but we should also notice what they're not asking for. If the rulers of this day, if the authorities threatened us and said, if you preach Jesus again, it's going to cost you. What would be our response 
Would our prayer be, Lord, protect us? Lord, shield us? Lord? Or would our prayer be what these disciples prayed? They didn't ask for protection. They didn't ask for shielding. They said, give us more boldness, God. Give us a boldness to go out and proclaim your word even more powerfully. They knew what they were facing. They knew that they would experience persecution as a result. If God answered their prayer, they knew exactly what was going to happen to them. And do you know that all except the Apostle John was martyred for their faith? Do you know that before the Romans persecuted the Christians, it was, it was the very people that threatened Peter and John. It was the rulers. It was the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests. They were the ones that persecuted the church even before the Romans did. And it was a direct result of God answering this prayer. Because God did answer that prayer. They said, Lord, grant to your servants boldness to speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So that more lame and more blind will be healed. So that people will see the glory of God, and know the reality of the resurrected Christ, the Messiah. The petition is made so that they will have even more power to be even more effective witnesses. And instead of shrinking back, they rise up, they press forward, as Paul writes, toward the goal of the prize of the high call in Jesus Christ. They're not looking for ways to blend in, to be camouflaged, but they're looking for ways to give greater witness to Christ so that all would see and all would hear and come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So they petition God for power. And you know what God does? He answers their prayer. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, I didn't grow up in church, but I grew up spiritually in a Pentecostal charismatic tradition. And whenever we talked about being filled with the Spirit in a Pentecostal charismatic tradition, it was always in the context of being filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues. I want you to notice that that's not what happens here. And that's not what those disciples prayed for. They said, fill us with your Spirit that we may not speak in tongues. They said, fill us with your Spirit that we may speak your word with boldness. And when God answered their prayer, the Bible says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. 
Listen, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible records that on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God fell upon the church, that 120 in the upper room, they came down, and it says that they were speaking in tongues, specifically, if you read that very closely, it says all those people from all those different nations heard each one in their own language. It was a miracle God did, so that men would see and hear that there would be a witness given to Jesus Christ. These disciples here pray a very practical prayer. They're in Jerusalem dealing with their Jewish brethren, and their prayer was, God, fill us with your spirit that we will have boldness to speak your word so that we can finish the thought so that they can hear your word and understand what's being said. This is why Paul says, I'd rather speak, I'd rather speak five words in a known language than 10,000 words in an unknown language because if I'm speaking in an unknown language, no one understands what I'm saying. It is a very appropriate prayer for us to pray today, God, fill us with your spirit. And I would encourage you to pray that prayer daily, constantly. Because to be filled with the spirit is not about you speaking in a tongue. You being filled with the spirit is about you living your life under the control of the Holy Spirit. You being filled with the spirit is Ephesians 5, um, we get to Ephesians 5, and when Paul begins to say um, in, in verse 17 and 18, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. When we're filled with the Spirit, when we're controlled by the Spirit, it's going to dictate how we speak. Here, specifically, these disciples of Jesus are saying, fill us with your Spirit that we may speak with boldness to those outside who are unbelieving, that they would hear the witness that we give to Jesus Christ. It's what the church needs today. We need to be filled with the Spirit so that the Word would go out speaking boldly the Word of God, so that the church would go out speaking boldly the Word of God in a language that men can understand. And when they had prayed, God answered that prayer. It says the place was shaken. They were all filled. And the result was that they spoke the word of God with boldness. It wasn't their education. It wasn't their training. It was the fact that they had been with Jesus. This is what the rulers had observed about Peter and John back in verse 13 of this story in chapter 4. When the rulers are observing them, they're questioning them. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. To put that in modern vernacular, as they observed Peter and John, as they heard them speak, 
They marveled because they realized they didn't have their PhD, they didn't have their master's, they didn't have their certificate from the seminary that they had gone to to get their theological training. But what they did recognize, what they did realize is that they had been with Jesus. And that is more important than anything. Education and training are good. We're starting a Christian school so that our children can be educated well. But education and training is no substitute for being with Jesus. And I would advise both. But if having to choose one, never ever be ashamed to say that you have been with Jesus. When people look at us, what do they perceive? Do they perceive our training and our education? Or do they perceive that we have been with Jesus? That's an important question for the church today. When the world looks at the church, what do they perceive? Do they perceive that we have been with Jesus? That's the, that's the money question right there. And that is what we want. That they would perceive that we have been with Jesus and that we are filled with his spirit by the boldness of our speech and by the measure of his love that is in us. That's how they will know whether we have been with Jesus or not. When we encounter the rage of this world, our response is going to indicate whether we've been with Jesus or not. Whether we, ins- whether we respond in like rage and anger or whether we respond in praise. Whether we begin to proclaim our own words and our own opinions and our own arguments or whether we proclaim the prophetic word, the holy word, the true word, of God is revealed to us and recorded for us in the scripture. Whether we begin to lament and bemoan because by chance this has happened to me or do we trust in the providence of God and we say there are not any accidents, there are not coincidences. God in his providence is doing something. Do you trust that? If we have been with Jesus, we will trust in the providence of God. And what will our petition be? Will it be for protection or will it be for power? Will it be to blend in and become invisible to the world so that the world doesn't bother me or hurt me or or poke me? Or do I pray and petition God for power that I can speak more boldly and be a greater witness for Christ? And when I pray that prayer, when I make that petition, do I really Believe and do I really want God to answer that prayer and actually fill me with his spirit and actually give us the power to speak his word with boldness? Because if he actually answers that prayer and fills us with his spirit and gives us the power to speak boldly, it, it, may, it may create trouble for us. You do realize that, don't you? And if we are Christians that just want to blend in the woodwork and keep our heads down 
until Jesus comes back, you better not pray that prayer. You better just block that scripture out of your Bible and don't ever read it. Because if you pray those prayers and you're serious and you actually ask God to answer that prayer for you, I can promise you there's going to be repercussions in this world because of it. Because there was in Peter and John's day and there will be in our day because the world has not changed. The nations are still raging. The people are still plotting. They are taking their stand and they are gathered against God and his Christ. And so they are against us. But what will our response be in the face of the world's rage? Well, I pray that it will be praise. It will be prophetic proclamation. It will be trusting in the providence of God. It will be petitioning God for even greater power and believing that he will answer that prayer and give to us the spirit of God, the power of God, that we will be able to declare the word of God and show the love of God that men would know truly that God the Father sent the Son for the salvation of the world. Amen? So I invite you to get ready to come to the table. Don't silo your faith. Your faith is, remember we talked about this last week, we're called salt and light. You are salt, you are light. You are the salt of the world, you are the light of the world. You silo your faith. You put it in a little bubble. You're not letting your light out and you're not letting the salt impact the earth. So Christian, as you trust in Jesus, I invite you to come to this table and renew your covenant with him. All right, let's stand. Today we see the nations raging, the people plotting, the kings taking their stand, and the rulers gathering together against the Lord and his Christ. That means they are raging, plotting, standing, and gathering against us, for we are his body, his bride, his physical expression in this earth. The world hates Christ, and so they will hate us. Because we belong to Jesus, listen to the words of Christ preparing his disciples for what would come. In John 15, 18 through 21, Jesus says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. They hate us because they do not know the Father who sent Jesus. The only way they will come to know is if someone tells them, we, the church, are that someone. We must tell them of the Father and of his love that sent the Son to die for sin and salvation. 
That was the petition and the prayer of the disciples in the face of threats and persecution. Give us boldness to proclaim your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in your name. Ask God, church, ask God to fill you, to fill us with his spirit that we may speak his word with boldness that men would know that we have been with Jesus and that they too would come to be with Jesus. Amen.